Thank you so much, Brother Chris. Lord, we come to you, and we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives, Lord. And we know that it's not easy, Lord, that life is not easy. Uh, Lord, we know that it's easy to fall and roll down a mountain into a valley, Lord, but it is hard. It takes effort to climb a mountain. It takes effort to get to the top. Lord, it's, you said strive to enter into uh, this narrow gate. It takes to, you have to strive to climb. There's going to be some sweat. And there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be a, a, a battle and a fight, an uphill battle, an uphill fight. But there is a mountaintop waiting for each and every one of us. And we thank you for that. Uh, that, Lord, is on the mountaintop where the uh, they disputed for the body. And you won. And it's up on the mountaintop where the body transfigured. And we saw the glory of God in our life. And we just thank you for that. And it's on the mountain that our eyes are fixed to. For our help comes from him who dwells on the mountain. And his feet skip across the mountaintops like the hind's feet. And he comes down and touches the mountaintops as he calls us up higher and brings us into where he wants us to be. So, Father, as we go into the lesson today, Lord, this is your message. This is uh, your servant. Lord, this is your church, uh, Lord, your body. Do with it uh, what you will, Lord, as we humble ourselves in your presence. Lord, I pray that you open ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to receive that which the Spirit is saying to the church today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. As we turn into your word, Lord. Amen. 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 Luke uh, chapter 18 today. Luke chapter 18. We'll talk about uh, just, uh, one thing today, matter of fact. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. Whatever's going on in your life today, it's between you and God. It may have to do with other people. Other people may have caused it. Other people may have contributed. Uh, but the, ultimately, the struggle, uh, the resistance, uh, whatever you're going through, it's between you and God. We're going to talk about that today. This, uh, is, this is between you and God. And you know what? God would never hide anything from you that he wanted you to have. God would never keep something a secret from you uh, that he wanted you to know. He would never uh, intentionally bring you somewhere he didn't mean for you to be. He would never intentionally do anything that he didn't uh, feel that was a part of the purpose, plan, or process uh, that you would need in your life to better you, to make you to become who that he has all planned for you since the foundation of the world. For I know the plans and the thoughts that I have for you to give you an expected end. He has uh, plans and thoughts for you to give you a, an end that has hope in it, that has an eternal life. I come that uh, none should perish, but all should have eternal life. And he would never hide these things from you. He would never keep these things from you. This is between him and you, you and him. He would never do that. And as we look in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 9, uh, the Bible says that he spoke a parable, and uh, he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican, the Pharisee or a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed this with himself, God, I thank you that I am not as other men. That I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, and I'm even not like this publican over here. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not that way. For I fast twice a week, I give thanks and tithes, or I give tithes to all that I of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, 
would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven. And the Bible says that he smote his breast, hit his, hit his chest, saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself uh, shall be abased or brought down, humbled. And he that humble himself shall be exalted. Shall be exalted. Two men go to the same place to do the same thing, to pray. At the same hour, how do two men end up in the same place, in the same environment, the same culture, uh, the same ethnicity, seeking the same person? How can they be so different? How could they be so different? How could, how if, if you were standing afar and they both walked in, you probably could notice a difference in the way they were dressed. Uh, of course, they were both, uh, but I would assume they're both Jewish. Uh, you might not be tell a difference when they're skin tones and skin colors, but their attitudes and actions would tell you that though they were similar, they were different. And that's one thing we want to touch on today was how do two men end up in the same place uh, at the same time doing the same thing have such different, can be so different. The Pharisee was uh, schooled. He was educated. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night. He was uh, uh, by the books. He was a teacher. Uh, he was a study of the law. Uh, the book of Moses, devoted to the law, devoted to practicing the law. Uh, they were very much devoted in opportunist, uh, and opportunistic, or opportunistic. Uh, they were very much devoted to, if you're looking, if you're seeing, then I'm doing. If you're noticing, notice me. If there's an opportunity to do good and no one's around, I don't take the opportunity to do good. I take the opportunity to wait till someone's around to be noticed. And that's the ideals of, of most Pharisees. I wouldn't say all of them was that way. Uh, Jesus even says at one point, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. And then, it, uh, and then we know that there were other Pharisees that were uh, a little different. But for time's sake, we're going to talk about uh, this one in particular. Uh, which is, well, give us an example of why he prayed like he did. They accepted the written law. They accepted oral law, tradition law. Uh, they had a, a, to help. They were traditionalists. They believed in the things that were handed down. My granddaddy did it. My daddy did it. My, my, his daddy did it. They did it. We're going to do it. And they couldn't bear the thought of anything new coming in, anything different coming in, anything uh, except that coming in. Whether your daddy did it or not, and you were a Pharisee, and my daddy did it this way, and he was a Pharisee, made no difference. There wasn't much room uh, for any other way than the way they were taught and the way that they were doing it. But they was indeed supernaturalists. They believed in angels and spirits and, and demons and resurrections and uh, 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 another life. They believed that a Messiah was coming. They believed that he was a king. He would come in and he would bring his army. He would, uh, And God would use his man like he used David to come in and take care of this Roman government and bring in, make everything right. And when they despised that Roman government, so this king was going to come in and make everything right. That's the guy that stood at the front of the temple and he prayed. And then the publican come in, the Bible says, and he stood afar off and he was a tax collector. He was a, uh, he took the income tax. He took the land tax. He took the, uh, your, there was a census tax. If you were born, you were taxed. If you, which is about like it is today. If you had land, you were taxed. If you made income, you were taxed. 
And then there was minute taxes. They, the publican really couldn't rob those taxes as, as easily as he could rob the travel tax. There's road taxes, and if they come through with goods, he could go through the goods. And if he was feeling a little broke that day, he could itemize everything that you were carrying, put a little bit of tax on all that, and take a little piece of, of the goods for himself. And there was no one you could go to. There's no way that you could prove he did it, prove he didn't do it. Uh, there was those kind of taxes. So this is the kind of person that, that is there as well. Uh, so, uh, so we see that they are very different, though they are similar. They're in a similar place, similar times, similar things, doing the similar things. Uh, they look the same, uh, but they are, are very different. And you know what? There are many influences that, cause, that you can say cause these things, uh, our impacts on our lives. Uh, how did they get so different from one another? Well, you could say, well, it's the parents. Uh, the parents, they're raising. Uh, one uh, was the Pharisee. He was sent to different schools, the elite school and the elite class, uh, the best and the brightest. And uh, Paul says he was that way, that he was in the best schools and the best, uh, and, the best and the brightest. So you could say that because uh, he, his parents uh, sent him to the best schools is why he turned out uh, so godly. <laughs> And then you got, well, this guy, you know, he did the same thing. If his parents took out taxes, he taught him accounting. He taught him numbers. He taught him uh, how to do all these things as well, how to uh, grow up and all this. And he might have taught him how to be so righteous. And he might have taught him how to rob people. I don't really know. I'm just speculating on the influence that a parent can have on a child and in their child's life as they grow up. Uh, one studying scriptures, the other one studying people. Uh, one's living a life of devotion, uh, one's living in the law, and one's living a life of devotion in himself. Can't really tell the difference which one it is at this point, but uh, one's, one's studying, one's stealing. Uh, uh, but they both, uh, but both have a knowledge to do one thing, it says, to go to the temple at the time of prayer and pray. It says they both have that understanding. His dad taught him that, and obviously either his dad or his convictions uh, taught him to go as well. So both had a knowledge to go to the temple. Um, so raising has a lot to do with it. Raising has a lot to do with it. Uh, but let's face it, uh, it's your obligation or your gift as a parent to raise your children. It is a, is a gift as a parent. God, these children are gifts to us. They are a gift. And it's an honor and an obligation to raise our parents. And sadly, a lot of kids are not getting raised by their parents. Uh, and, and gratefully and thankfully, a lot of Kids are getting raised uh, by the parents. And the Bible says that we are to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they shall not depart. Uh, it, is a, it is a promise uh, that they will go. Uh, it's not guaranteed that they will go that way. It's a promise that they will not depart and they will come back. It is a guarantee. Right? I'll just highlight it. It's not a guarantee that they will go that way, the way that you want them to go. But it guarantees them an opportunity to go uh, where he wants them to go. It does say uh, when they're older that they will not leave it. It's an opportunity. We're doing all that we can do to make sure that they don't go where I want him to go. I need him to go where he wants him to go. Because what I have for him and what he has for him are probably not the same thing. And what I know uh, that might change his life and what he knows that will make a definite change in his life, I might change his life. I can definitely change his life or two different things. So I did. we dedicate our children to the Lord and we said, Lord, we're going to live a life 
Uh, it's not, I didn't dedicate him to the Lord. I dedicated and consecrated myself to live a life that will be well-pleasing to him until he reaches the age to where he gives his life to the Lord. And I dedicate him to the Lord. Uh, and I, it's like Hannah said, uh, Lord, if you'll, give me a, a, uh, if you'll give me a child, I'll bring you back a son. And that's the way we did. Lord, if you'll give us this child, we will bring you back a son. And he will come to know you in the fullness because he has nothing to hide from you. He wants his very best for you. And he didn't keep any secrets from you when it comes to what he has planned for your life. So, okay, well, if it's so, if he's got godly parents and he taught them to go to the temple, it must be their schooling. It must be because he was under uh, Pharisaical law in school and he was in an accounting school. It must be that. Well, you got to think. Now, look at Paul. Look at Paul. He said uh, he had the finest and brightest schools and he was killing Christians. And then you got to think, well, Nicodemus had the finest and brightest schools, and he was coming to Jesus at night saying, I know you who you say you are. I don't know how I'm going to convince these people you say you, who you say you are, but we know that you're a man of the law. Amen. Gamaliel, Gamaliel the, the false teacher, said, listen, if this man is from God, let God, deal, if these men are from God, let God deal with them. So Paul's teacher obviously didn't have any input because Paul said, uh, well, I'll deal with them. And he got letters and he went to Damascus. Schooling. Nicodemus was a fine. Uh, uh, one publican. Uh, yeah, so the, so the schooling could have had a lot to do with it, but it produces two results. It produces one that says, we know you're from God. And one says, uh, you can never be from God. One says, uh, leave them alone. One says, kill them all. And the same teaching, teaching two different things. Why so different? Because when they got older, it becomes between them and God. It becomes between you and God. You, there comes a day when you have to take action and responsibility for your own actions. Until that age comes, I'm responsible. I'm responsible for Grayson until that age comes. Uh, so why the difference? And I'm going to get out of my notes in just a minute because that's the Lord really dealing with me with this. Let me set us all. Uh, well, let me just go one more page. God created us all that way to be different. He created us in, in, in different ways. He created us in his image and his likeness and each and every one of us he created that way. Now he created them male and female. Now I understand that that is under debate in the world today, but in the church it is no debate there, no question there. He, he created one male and one female, and he did this to help the plan he has for your life. He did. He created you in his likeness so that you could come to know him in his fullness. And this, and he created you male and female, two genders. This. I don't know what that says. <laughs> this he did. Well, he did to fulfill the purpose and call in your life. He created you a male or a female, not because he's mad at you, not because one's over the other better than the other. Uh, one to help lead and one to help. Uh, this he did to get you through where he wants you to go. Fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us all different. He made us all unique. He made us all fearfully. And he made us all differently to give us a purpose and a plan uh, for our lives. And he has a process as well that comes in the mix. He has a plan, a purpose, and then there's a process. There's a plan, a purpose, and your process. Your parents, before you came of age, was obligated or gifted to raise you up in the way that you should go. 
Your personality, your ability, your character, your talents help you fulfill God's plan for your life. These were non-negotiable. These are things that he placed in you when he formed you in your mother's belly. He formed these things in you so you could be who you wanted to be. Your race, if you're white, black, Asian, whatever, does not hinder his plan for your life. It is his plan for your life. Your gender does not hinder, well, if I was a man, or it does not hinder your plan, his plan for your life. It helps his plan for your life. Now, your schooling and college and whatever you do, uh, when you become of the age of accountability and you get out in this wild, crazy world, it can either help or hinder the plan that God has for your life. It does. So what happens? What, what impact has the most influence on that? Parents? Schooling, race, gender, uh, world, church. What impact has the greatest influence on what we become in our life? Well, I'm going to tell you the greatest impact, and this will set this set me free, and it'll set you free too today. The greatest impact that causes you to look at your child and say, "How in the world could you not see that? How could you not get here? How could you not do?" And it made me look in the mirror and say, "Good Lord, Jeff, how in the world did you not see through this? How did you find that the greatest impact in my life was not my?" Uh, mama ringing in my ear and the schooling and ringing in my ear and, and my gender or race ringing uh, the greatest impact that I really finally figured out that was causing all this drama and all this mess in my life is because it, no, I was born here, I was born this way, I was born this color but I was also born this way that there was a man that had two vessels he had two vessels and he created and formed these vessels and you know what happened? These vessels fell. These vessels fell. And they broke. And they broke. All have fallen and were broken. That's the impact. That's the impact that impacts us the most. That's the impact that has the most impact on us. Let me read this to you. Uh, Romans 5. I'll get there in just a minute. Romans 5. That's the, one that, that's the one that hindered you the most. Romans 5, 12 through 14 says this. Um, Wherefore, if by one man sin entered into this world, and death by sin, and so death passed on into all men, for that all men have sinned, for unto the law sin was a whole, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. When there was no law, you didn't know you had any sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses and and beyond, and even over unto them that had no sin, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was come. What is he saying there? That, that by Adam's sin, whether you had anything to do with it or not, when you were born into this world, though you were born with a plan and purpose on your life and in the image and likeness of what God wanted you to create and what he had in mind for you, you were born broken. You were born cracked. You were born. And you know what happens? What happens is, is one was broken, and you know what? It becomes like a, like a weapon. It can be used as, one says, well, now I'm a weapon. I can be used as a weapon. And the other one says, I'm crushed. I'm crushed. I don't know what to do. I'm crushed. I don't know what to do. And this one's just here. here now. I don't know what he does. But... And that man, he says, I'm crushed. I'm crushed. But you know what? Glory to God and, and praise be unto God that this did not hinder his plan for you. 
This did not stop his plan from you. He knew this was happening from the foundation of the world. When he created you, he knew that this had already happened. Uh, this had happened many years ago, but before Adam and Eve sinned, uh, he had already taken care of this. So this sin, uh, where Adam sinned, that was passed on from you, and you really had nothing to do with that you were born into this sin, born in this way, and you have no way of overcoming this sin. This sin can't between, be between you and your parents. It can't be between you and your schooling. It can't be between you and your schooling. It must, it, it's not between what you do and what you didn't do. If, if my sin was passed down between me and Adam, and it wasn't passed down any other way, it must not... That there's nothing that I can do about it that if I didn't cause it, I can't fix it. And you got to realize that this sin must be between me and God. It must, he's got a problem with it. The sin must be between me and God. As Romans 5, 13 says, one sin was by one man's sin it entered into the world. But he says, praise God, by one man's obedience it's going to leave here. It leaves here. And the law points this out as it does in this text right here. The law says that two men went into the temple. Well, the Bible says that two men went into the temple. One the Pharisee, the law. The other one a publican, a sinner. The Pharisee stood, the law stood and prayed, oh God, I think that I'm not like this man. I'm glad I'm not like this man. I'm glad I didn't do what, how, how did these two similar different people that God created get there? Remember now, Remember that there are different paths. He goes in, he says, I'm glad I'm not like this man. He stands afar <laughs> off. Remember now, God throws seed. We talked about this, and they'll, they'll spring up anywhere. There's, a, there's those that sprung up in the wayside. There's those that sprung up, strung, that come up in the stony ground. There's some that, that come up in the uh, corners of the field. And there's some that come up in the good ground. We got to be there. We got to be there to help them. We got to be there to shade those who the sun scorches and those to there to water those that don't have any depth. And we got to be there and, and help them because they have God has a plan for their life. God has a plan for their life, and God has a plan for their life. And I was asked this uh, in Sunday school from a very brilliant young man. Well, and he uh, he said uh, I don't like bad people, and I don't like it when they do bad. Well, I wish they wouldn't even hear. And I wrote that in my notes today, not back there before I got here. Then why don't God get rid of all these people? Then? Why, don't, why don't he just change these things? Well, we saw that in the other one. Because you can't tell the difference in who's who. Can you tell a difference for him? Can you go to God and say you don't need him in the world, but you do need him in the world? You don't need to do this in the world, but you need to do this. Can you explain, God, the times and the seasons and how when the sea needs to roll? He told Job, he said, can you tell me time, seasons, how far the sea can come, how far back it can go? Can, where was you when I created the world? Where was you to show? Who were you to show me the Pharisee and the publican and the difference therein? Who are you? Doesn't change the fact uh, that he was going to sort it out at the harvest doesn't change that fact. You've got to look at their lives. Job says, what can I tell you, Lord, that you don't already know? What can I tell you, Lord, that you don't already know? So it's better for me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and, and God says, oh, wait a minute, gird yourself up like a man, son. He was bold while ago. Job says, it's better for me just to keep my mouth shut. Just to keep my mouth. 
the difference. God's placed and planted. So they go. So how do they, now I just need, I'm telling you, I don't know, I feel this, I feel the spirit. So this is what he does. So one man gathers up his pieces and he goes into the temple. He gathers himself and he goes in the temple and he says, Lord, if God, he'll say, Lord says, God. And he looks around and sees the other guy with his pieces. And he says, I sure am glad I'm not like he is. I'm glad I'm not an extortioner. But you know what? He might not be an extortioner because he's just, he's just that everyday honest man. Maybe. Maybe because he's a righteous man. I don't know. I'm glad I'm not unjust. Well, he may just have principles and morals. I'm glad I'm not an adulterer. Well, he may just love his wife. He may be single. I don't really know. All he says is, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. For I fast twice a week and I give my tithe. You know why he's standing here and he's standing afar off? Because the Lord called both of them to come. Because he give, he, he, the Lord called them to come. He, he gives everybody a chance and an opportunity. Everybody a chance and an opportunity. Where you would say, he has no right to come. He has no right to be here. Look how he, and look how I, and look what they do. But you can't see the process. God's calling them. Both are here because they should be. And I'll, when we get to the end of the service, uh, the end of the story here, I'm gonna, I don't know which one helped which one the most. Both are there for a reason. Both are there for a reason. Both are there. One says, God, I sure am glad I'm not like him. And I certainly am glad I'm not like him. You know, and I'm going to tell you that I don't know why this is there, but it's here. You know, there's some conversations going on in heaven about you. There's some conversations that are going on in heaven about you. And the accuser of the brothers up there day and night saying, have you considered my servant? I mean, no, he's saying, have you, yeah, have you, have you considered your servant? That if you wasn't as good to him as you was, he wouldn't follow you. He wouldn't love you. He wouldn't chase after you. He wouldn't do the things you called him to do. He wouldn't go here. He wouldn't do that. And then there's another. Then at the same time, there's other conversations. And have you seen what he's done and what he's doing and how he treats people and how he and how he does this and how he does that? And the Lord says in Job's case, we know the story. He says, well, you go and do whatever you want to do, but don't touch him. You go and do whatever you want to do and don't touch him. And he does all that to his family and to his livestock and to his wealth and to his body. And you know what he says about the one over here that's doing all these people wrong and in all these different ways? And all, he says, and you go and you do whatever you want to him, to him, but you don't touch him. But you don't touch him. Aren't you glad that he never takes his hand off of you, even if you've never grabbed a hope of his? Because if the, if the Lord ever took his hand off of you in this life, the enemy would take you out. He would kill you. He would take you out. It is his mission to take you out, to see, see who he can, so he, he comes as a roaring lion to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. He would kill you. 
So the enemy, uh, the, the, the enemy is stayed back by the, by the hand of God and his arms around you. Conversation. And you know where this conversation's heard? It's not heard right here. It's not heard in your ears. It's not heard in your head. It's heard in your heart. The conversation of heaven is heard in your heart. Job says, I know in my heart. I don't know. And he's got the crowd around him. He says, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know if I've sinned or not. And I don't know. I know I'm not going to cuss God and die. I don't know what's going on. But I know in whom I believe, as Paul would say, but, but, but Job said it first. He said, I know that my ears hadn't heard, but my eyes have seen my Redeemer, and he liveth. Yes. And he liveth. No matter what's going on, I know that there's a means to an end. And I'm not giving up on that. And the conversation that's taking place in the heart is saying, I know I've treated these people terribly. I know that I've done wrong and I've stolen and I shouldn't have done these things. This is this, this is this one. And I know that I've stolen and I took for myself more than I should. And that I took from others more than I should. And I know that I've done this. And this is going on in his heart. This is going on in his heart. One's the godliest, godliest of the day. One's the ungodly of the ungodliest of the day. And they both go in there to pray. And one's not hearing the conversation in his heart. He's hearing the message in his head. I'm a faster and a tither and I'm not an adulterer and I'm not an extortioner and I'm not an unjust. I, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, the brightest and the best. And he's saying, God... And he's just standing, the Bible says, afar off. Afar off. Because you know what? He didn't come to see him like he did. He wouldn't have boasted about all that had the publican not been in the background. But the publican says, I didn't come to see the Pharisee. I come to see you. I come to see you. Paul talked about uh, at the very beginning of the service. It's not a we we don't come to show you what we've done all week and how we've prayed, uh, prayed and orchestrated and all this stuff. And I thought about that too. It's, it, it's it, you know it's not about that. It's not about what we're doing. It's not it's about what he's doing. It's not about what we're doing. You know what? I I, 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 I know I, I can figure out what the Baptists believe. I've got a Baptist faith and message right here. We can figure this out too. I can study this and figure it out. Uh, guide back book for pastors. I know I, all the table of contents. I can look right in there. Power in the pulpit. Tell you how to structure a message and present it well. We're orated and, and, and do an altar call if you want to. I got constitution and bylaws that tells me how we should, who to call, when to call, their number, and birthday. Got all that in here. Got order of services, even though the songs is going to sing. But you know what? In all actuality, I am very, very <laughs> incapable of leading this church. I am very, very incapable of leading this church. This way. This way. The only way is this way. It's this way. It's this way. It's this way. It's, it's, it's having a Bible that's getting broke in. Notebooks you can't even, you can't even decipher through. It's through prayer. Constant prayer. And saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? In and of myself, I can't do it. These are you. These, these books ain't even broke in. 
it's, it's, but if this one ain't, we all in trouble. We all in trouble. I just did one of the greatest things this morning. He said, you ain't got a Bible. That's the number one key to it right there. That's the number one key to it. He's got that one's got it in his head. He's got it in his head. The one's got it in his head. The one's got it in his heart. This is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. A man has two vessels. They fall. One shatters and is weak. One breaks and is a weapon to be used as a tool for all kinds of different things. There's different all types of things. Finally, we see a similarity as they come in and they're both praying. I don't do this and I do that. But I want to tell you, I want to ask you this. So if one stands close, one stands afar off, what stands between him and God and him and God? What stands between you and God? What is standing between you and God today? One looks at the other publican and says, I'm God, I'm glad I'm not like him. There's nothing you can do. And he looks back to the front. Nothing, I'm glad I'm not like you. There's nothing you can do. And the publican in the back doesn't even lift his head up. Won't even come any closer. Stands in the back. What stands between him and God? Let's just look at the scripture. What the, that, well, the, the publican says it this way uh, in verse uh, I've been in the wrong chapter again. That's, that's sorry. Verse 13, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What stands between the Pharisee and God? A veil that he can never enter in. Me, the Pharisee, this man, and God. Me, adultery, and God. Thee, no adultery in God. Me, no unjustness in God. Me, no uh, adultery in God. Me, fasting in God. Me, giving tithes in God. Me, myself in God stands before. Me, my works in God stands before him and God. So what's between him and God himself? He stands in the way. He stands in the way of what, what God wants to do in his life. A veil, a curtain. The Bible says it was a veil, a curtain that stood between him and God, the Holy of Holies, as they stood in the temple and prayed uh, over a sacrifice of blood that had been made on the Day of Atonement so that all that could come, uh, that their sins was covered, and that sacrifice would not last, but it would only be for a minute. So what stands between him and God? A curtain. What stands between the other man and God? He hears the accusations. He hears, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One has a curtain between him and God. And by somehow, some miraculous divine intervention that we've all come to know, one has a cross between him and God. One has a cross between him and God. Glad I'm not like him. 
hate that I would be like him. And the guy in the back begins to hear it. Hounding. One's on. I'm glad I'm not like you. You'll never come. You'll never be where I'm at. You can hear him in the back. He's beating his chest. He begins to beat and smile. Because the one up here on the front is saying, you'll never be like me. I can fix this. I got it all together. I got it all figured out. I've read the manuals. I've read, I've studied the manuals. I can do this and I can do that. I've got it all figured out. And the guy in the back, he beat him. Beat him. He's beating and he says, God, I don't guess it's going to be real. God, have mercy on me. A sinner. What is it? What is he doing? He's, he's hearing something. He's beating himself. He's breaking himself. He says, I must decrease so that he must increase. I must become nothing. And he gets a revelation that is uncanny. He's this right here. You know what he's doing? He's doing this. I'll back him. He's breaking himself because he knows that everything that he has is nothing to offer a holy and a just God. Amen. He knows that until he is completely broken before God, he'll never come before God. He will never come. I, I don't need him. I, I got this. I don't need him. And he's back here just breaking, decreasing, so that he must increase. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. We must remember that the, though the impact of the fall is great, the greatest impact is the one that the rock, the sure, my foundation has. The rock of my foundation, the stone, the, the rock of ages has on our life. That's the one that matters. That's the one because this stands, this should stand between you and God. This should stand between you and God. And he shatters his vessel. And he offers his vessel. This is the rock. Matthew 21, 44 says it this way. 21, 44. Uh, says this. And the Pharisees were gathered together and Jesus... Uh, what? 21, 40, 44, 44. And, uh, sorry. Four, let's start with 41. They said unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and let out his vineyard and husband. And he talks about the vineyard. Uh, Jesus said unto him, did you not never read the scriptures? The stone which the builder rejected is the same that become the head. And the corner, you know, the cornerstone was placed last. Uh, and become the head of the corner. And the Lord's doing is marvelous. In our eyes, that the Lord's doing is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But whomsoever this stone falls on will be crushed. <laughs> Daniel speaks of a 
stone that's coming that's going to crush everything. There's a day coming that's too late. There is a, there is a stone that's coming that's going to crush everything. The one who falls on the stone and gets broken and says, God, the only thing standing between me and you is you, your mercy, your blood, the blood of the cross, the blood of Jesus, then he wants to restore and make whole. That's what he wants to do. He's not, he's not going to patch you up. He's not going to glue you back together. He is going to make all things new in your life. Is it gonna, there's going to be mountaintops. There's going to be valleys. There's going to be some moments that used to shatter you that don't shatter you no more. There's going to be some moments that should shatter you that don't shatter you. But as long as you do this right here, you're going to stay broken. You're going to stay confused. You're going to stay in a place to where you say, I wish that I was. I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad I'm not. And your religion is going to haunt you more than it's going to help you. Relationship will help. Religion will haunt you. It will haunt you. It will haunt you. So, in closing, as we stand, uh, I just uh, feel this, a seriousness uh, this week in uh, in church uh, or in my studies or in my gifts or callings or in this body I, uh, that this is not a, a game. This is this is not a game. This is the most serious decision. Uh, that you'll ever make in your life. It's the most serious decision. It's one of the greatest decisions. Uh, one of the greatest commitments that I've ever given was not to my parents. It wasn't to Amanda. It wasn't to Grayson. It was not to this congregation. Though these are great commitments that I have. It was to the Lord. To realize that I, Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I'll do whatever. It, and the things that should have shattered me don't shatter me anymore. I was humbling myself through a process that he had, committing my life to him. God is not offering you a job. He's offering you a life. That's what he wants. This is not a job. We don't have a, a job. This is not a job. This is a way of life for, for us. This is a way of life for us. And no, don't stand in his way any longer. Saying you got it all figured out. No matter what it is. God has offered gifts. God's gift. His son. His son's gift. Uh, your, your, we talked about these evangelists, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And the Holy Spirit's gifts coming in. And we don't offer you a membership here. We offer you a chance of ministry here. We offer you a chance to use your gifts and callings. As we come in beside you. Before you and behind you. Praying, studying, loving, and lifting you up to do what God's called you to do as a ministry, as an opportunity to grow in the, in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that nothing stands in your way.